The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. So I want to get into the Word this morning. I'm very excited to do that. Uh, I believe every time we come together that God is speaking something specifically to us, strategic, uh, and, and all that we need to <clears throat> walk in victory and walk in, in the breakthrough that He has uh, sent on our behalf. I want to get into the Word here and share with you a few things that we're going to find. And I've got to admit to you that during praise and worship, things were being shuffled and shifted and moved all around these notes here. I always want to be sensitive to, to be really specific in the order in which we present things because I, I wholeheartedly believe that when we come together, there really is an intentional word for us as a congregation, and then God is speaking to us individually. That's why I like to encourage note-taking and things like that. You can revisit your notes and your own uh, time in the word and allow the Holy Spirit to move and, and speak in your own life uh, very personally. Uh, so here's a few things that we're going to find in the Word uh, this morning as we get into the Word together. Uh, one thing we're going to find is how God protects us from being afraid. How He protects us from being afraid. And afraid is, is a very generic, loose term. I mean, you could substitute anxiety or just straight-up fear. Uh, anything along those lines is going to fall in that category uh, there's, there's a way in which God protects us, and, and I want to see that in the Scripture so that we can pursue that in our prayer life, we can identify that when it's present and allow it to do its work in our lives. Another thing we're going to find is what God will never do. What He'll never do. You can always be sure that, that God will never do something. It's in the Scripture, and it's important for us to, to know what that is. Uh, a third thing that we're going to find is, is how to grow together and how to advance as a, as a church, as a body of believers. I think this is a very important thing for us to, to receive and let it have an effect on us individually and, and also together as the body. So I want to jump right into the Word, and I want to lay a little bit of foundation here. Uh, if you have your Bibles there, you can turn uh, to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 42, we looked at this passage last week. It's been a little foundational in the sense that God's doing new things. You'll see that in the Word here. Isaiah chapter 42. I want to look at verses 9, and we're going to take uh, from the passages between verses 9 and 13, and we're going to, to apply them here for the purpose of laying a little bit of base. Uh, beginning in verse 9, you see, Behold, former things have come to pass. That means the, the past is gone. Everything that happened in the past is now behind us, and God now says this. He says, now I declare new things, and before they come to pass, I'll proclaim them to you, I'll reveal them to you, and we see that throughout the scripture. And when you jump down to verse 13, you, you read this, that God will go forward like a warrior. He will stir up his zeal like a man of war, and he will utter a shout and raise a war cry, and he will prevail against his enemies. Now, I, I quote that a lot in my own life, that God will prevail. I mean, I say it a, a lot, and often it's not meant to be something that is, is cliche, but if you're going to have something that is habitually coming out of your mouth, God will prevail is a pretty good thing to have habitually come out of your mouth. Have you noticed before you became a believer, there were things that would habitually come out of people's mouths? Some of them not so pleasant, some of them even... Uh, 
just downright dirty, right? I mean, I've been around people, and I work around people, and sometimes they'll say things out of habit. And I remember working with, with one gentleman, and he would say a word that was really foul. It was a foul way to say excrement, right? I mean, he said it all the time. He put it between words that you would just think, why would you put that there, you know? He could be describing Thanksgiving dinner and say it three times, and you're just thinking, like, my goodness, why? But it was a habit. He had developed a habit where that was coming out. And I sat down with him one time and just talked with him and said, you know, hey, you realize you say that a lot. And he kind of chuckled, you know. And I said, have you ever thought about it? Not really. I said, you know, it's not just a, a, a bad word, so you shouldn't say it or else you're sinning. There's more to it than that. The truth is the scripture says that, that what comes out of your mouth comes out of your heart. So what does that mean your heart is filled with? And he, he laughed, but it gave him a conviction to be careful what he, habits he had with his words. Well, I think it's a pretty good habit to get into, to, to come into the awareness and let it be released verbally that God will prevail. God will prevail over his enemies. Now, we have this as a promise in Jesus. Uh, uh, we used this last week. We use it a lot, and we'll continue to. But if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there again. The Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke chapter 1. I want to begin in verse 68. What you have here is a prophecy being released of what God is accomplishing in your life and in my life in Jesus. Isaiah chapter 1 beginning in verse 68. This, this prophecy being released, it reads like this. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He has visited us and he has accomplished redemption for his people. He's raised up salvation for us, as he's spoken through the mouths of his prophets, which have been from the very beginning, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all of those who hate us. There's another good thing to quote. He does this to show mercy to our fathers and to remember the covenant that he swore to Abraham, that he would grant unto us that being delivered from the hand of our enemies, we might serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness all of our days. I mean, this is what God is accomplishing in Jesus. The salvation that he's brought into our life through our King Jesus is bringing into our life the freedom and the deliverance from our enemies, the corruption that comes from the fear of our enemies, that we could stand in holiness and in righteousness and be the priests that God's called us to be, the servants of the Most High. I'm curious how this happens. I mean, what is the method in which God does this? And I want to look at the word, and I want to apply a little strategy in interpreting the word for the purpose of coming to a point of conclusion here. I mentioned before when we listed some things we were going to find in the scripture that the first thing was going to be, you know, how God protects us from being afraid. Now, remember, the, the fulfillment of this prophecy is, is Jesus, that prophecy that said that God is delivering us from our enemies so that we won't be afraid. And when we're not afraid, we're able to serve him in holiness and in righteousness. So I want to know how God is bringing this deliverance from fear into my life. I want to give you a passage of scripture here out of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 12, I want to look at the first two verses. Isaiah chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. It reads like this, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were once angry with me, your anger is now turned away, or your anger is now satisfied. Now the rest of this passage reads like this, you comfort me, 
You are my salvation. I will trust in you and not be afraid. For the Lord my God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. When I read this passage of scripture, there's a word that stands out to me, and I want to share it with you for the purpose of building on it this morning. That this absence of fear, this this, uh, reality that has set in to the prophet here as he writes these words, and he's able to say, I will not be afraid. This is the result of a revelation that has entered into his life of God's comfort. This passage of scripture, again, it reads like this. I give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were once angry with me, your anger has now turned away. You comfort me. You are my salvation. I will trust you and not be afraid. I want to talk this morning about the idea that God is comforting us. I think it's an important word. I think it's a necessary word. I think if you were to look uh, at the state of of, uh, things in the world today, whether it's in, in you know, your, your community in a small scale or whether it's in the state or, or the country or, or just the world at large, you can see a deep need for comfort. There's a lot of panic and a lot of anxiety and a lot of desperation and, and all kinds of circumstances that are really uh, ideal for things like compromise to happen and prevail or, or just uh, outright unrighteousness to prevail. And in, in our lives, we have been equipped with something in order to protect us from being afraid or anxious or fearful, and it comes through God's comfort. Now, I specifically said how God protects us uh, from fear because I didn't want to say what protects us from fear. I personally believe, and I'm just throwing this out there, that it's God's love that protects you from fear. I mean, First John says that God's perfect love casts out all fear, that there's no room for it. So I believe that, that love is the what, but comfort is the how. I mean, what good is it if I have all this love, but I don't give it to you? What if I were just filled up with love, but it's never expressed or given to you? Then, then it, it's of no use to you. It has no effect on you. But the idea that God is comforting you is one idea that ought to be embraced and celebrated, that there is this, this catalyst for the love of God to enter into our life, and that is comfort. I want to move on into the scripture here. I want to talk about, you know, what comfort looks like. I mean, when it impacts your life, what does it do? It it really does something fantastic. When you begin to to embrace and witness and celebrate the comfort of God, something incredible happens. And I think it's safe to say, based on this next passage of scripture, something great happens. I I want to give this to you for your notes. Uh, Out of the Psalm, Psalm 71 I want to look at verse 21. I think it's really interesting that two things are mentioned here, meaning that these two things are connected. Uh, You can't separate these from one another. Uh, Psalm 71, verse 21, it, it reads like this, You increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. I mean, as a young man growing and trying to prove myself and make a name for myself, there was this struggle and this desire to be great, to, to, to do things at a level that was a high level and that would, would uh, gain the respect and admiration of those around me. And when I read the scripture here, I can see that there is an increase of greatness that is coming from a source, and that source is God and his comfort. 
You increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. Uh, you could read that and see two separate actions and activities taking place. That one, you increase my greatness, and two, you comfort me on every side. Or you could see them as connected. That by comforting me on every side, meaning bringing your comfort into my life in every aspect of my living, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, letting your comfort, the catalyst that brings your love, the pipeline that pumps your love into my life, it does something to me. It makes me greater. It makes me a better person. It makes me a better husband, makes me a better father, makes me a better pastor, makes me a better businessman. It makes me better when your love enters into my life and then flows through my life. When you comfort me on every side, uh, I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture here that, that bear witness to this, that there's something that takes place when God's comfort enters in. I, I wanted, you're there uh, somewhere in the Psalms. I'd like for you to go back to Isaiah, Isaiah 61. Now, Isaiah chapter 61 opens up with a series of Scripture that we're familiar with from the New Testament when Jesus takes the scroll of Isaiah and begins reading in the presence of all and then it announces that this passage of Scripture that he's reading is fulfilled in the midst of, of all of those who were hearing. Isaiah chapter 61, uh, I want to read the, the first three verses. It, it begins like this. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. I want to pause there for a second. Do you see something that's taking place here? There's a ministry that's taking place to a lot of people who are hurt, a lot of people who are needy, a lot of people who are in a position of discomfort, so to speak. Now, the passage goes on to say that this declaration is to declare the vindication of our God. And now I want you to pay attention to the next words. To comfort all who mourn. And to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, an oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting. Now here's this result that comes from this exchange. So, so they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This is an awesome passage of scripture. I like to take this passage of Scripture and look at it forward and look at it backwards because I think we're very reward-driven, very results-driven people. Uh, it, it's, it's, I'm more inclined to desire the end result than the process, and I think most people are attracted to the end result versus the process. Uh, if you were to show me a bright, shiny sports car with a beautiful paint job and a roaring engine and say, hey, do you like this car? I would probably say, yeah, if you told me, hey, it's going to take months of backbreaking labor to sand and to prep and to prime and do all of these. Or do you like that? I'd probably say, no. So I like to look at things forwards and then backwards. And this is a great passage of Scripture to do that. But when you look at this backwards, first of all, you see God being glorified. I want that. I want in my life for God to be glorified. And when you keep going backwards, you, you see that uh, your life being strong, deeply rooted, compared to, to a, a giant, magnificent oak tree. That means unflinching, unmoving, that it is steady and stable. Yes, I want that. 
And then you see then the exchange that's necessary for that result. That, that spirit of fainting or that fear being exchanged for a mantle of praise. That, that spirit of mourning or that constant state of, of unsatisfied grief being exchanged for gladness. And then you see ashes, which is total loss, complete waste, being exchanged for that garland. That's, that's like a, a fresh uh, cutting from a plant. It's the opposite of ash and waste and ruin. Rather, it's fresh. And you see this exchange taking place that results in our lives being made strong in God and God, therefore, being glorified. I want, desire, and need all of these exchanges to take place in my life. I mean, any believer needs to have these exchanges taking place in their life. What a great passage of Scripture to introduce into your prayer life. You know, Father, I want that garland instead of ashes. I may not even know what that means right now as I pray it, but I want the garland instead of the ashes. I want the oil of gladness instead of mourning. If there's any place in my life that is being led right now by loss or devastation, let it no longer take the lead, but let the oil of gladness wash over me, renewing my mind and my heart that I might be steadfast as an oak of righteousness bringing you honor and glory. We can introduce these things into our prayer life. And give me that mantle of praise instead of that spirit of fainting that I wouldn't be prone to fear and anxiety causing me to curl up and take no action, but that I might stand in praise, that I might release my voice in intercession, glorifying your name, singing over every situation and circumstance the truth that you will prevail over your enemy. a great thing. And I look back at this as I continue to play it back, and I see that this exchange all happens through one catalyst, and that catalyst is comfort. To comfort all who mourn, to give them the garland for the ashes, the oil of joy for the mourning, and the mantle of praise for the fainting. I want to introduce into my prayer life, Father, I want your comfort. Let your comfort exist in my life and through my life so that every exchange necessary for me to stand firm and to be planted might take place and that I might bring you honor and glory in my life. I want to give you another passage of Scripture that, that testifies of this out of Isaiah. Isaiah 53, verse 3. Not too far away, just 10 chapters back, Isaiah 50, I'm sorry, 51, verse 3. Isaiah 51, verse 3, it, it, it reads like this, For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all of her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like the Garden of Eden, her desert like the Garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. When comfort enters in, you see things that are devastated come to life. I can think of a number of areas in my life where I have run things into the ground. Areas of, of neglect, areas where there has been abuse present, whether it has been afflicted upon me or whether I have afflicted it upon another, there is a need for that which is fruitless and wasting away to be transformed into something that is fruitful and life-giving. And it all comes through that catalyst that is comfort. 
that God's comfort would enter into my life and make a way for this transformation to take place, make a way for this transformation to come to pass. I want to give you a passage of scripture here that God has made uh, uh, no, it's not been a mystery that God has made comfort a a priority to enter into our lives. I, I want to give you this passage of scripture from Exodus, Exodus chapter 33. The book of Exodus, I want to look at chapter 33. Now, you're going to see here a a, a portion of a conversation between Moses and God. A conversation about what life looks like in the presence of God, as, as a child of God, walking in the covenant of God. And Moses makes a statement that is a powerful statement. It's a request, and, and it's, it's obviously a, a something that he's put some thought into, or I should say it's been inspired by the Holy Spirit within him to ask this or to make this request. It, when you think about what he's asking, it's literally the perfect thing to request from God. And I can think of all the things that could have been asked for. I mean, things that would pass away, things that would be temporary. He could have asked for, for power or, or position or, or wealth or, or some, uh, something that would, would pass away with him. But rather, he asked this. In Exodus chapter 33, at verse 13, he says, Now therefore I ask you, he's speaking to God, If I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways so that I may know you. So that I may continue to find favor in your sight. And consider this also, that this nation is your people. Now when I read that, what I hear is he's asking for something. Not just for him, but for an entire nation. He's saying, let us know your ways so that we might know you. And I love the answer that God gives. You'll find the answer right after the question. And God said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. That word there is nuach. It is to give comfort. So if we take that word and we apply it as we need it today as we're discussing comfort, let me read God's response to you one more time. When Moses asks We need to know your ways so that we may know you. God answers and says, I will go with you and I will give you comfort. That's how he answered the request for God's presence to be with us always. I will go with you and I will give you comfort. The rest of that passage that we were going to read reads like this. And Moses said to God, if your presence doesn't go with us, If you don't lead us wherever we go, how will it be known that we found favor in your sight and that we're your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we and I, your people, may be distinguished from all other peoples who are upon the face of the earth? I mean, is it not your presence? Is it not your present nuach in our lives that sets us apart from all of the rest of the world? What's really funny is that the Holy Spirit, the, the, the Spirit of God, the word for spirit there would be ruach. So we walk in the ruach nuach. And if you're into a little wordplay there, we have that. And that leads us to where we're going with this. This is what the Holy Spirit is identified as in our life. I use the word what because we're talking about comfort. The reality is who. 
We need to see comfort as a who. So I offer this to you with this in mind. I mean, we're going to read some passages here that are the words of Jesus. Jesus speaking to us and the disciples who were present there as he spoke it verbally. If you, if you want to go ahead and, and uh, head that way in your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 14. I want us to understand something that when Jesus began to speak to his disciples as it concerned the Holy Spirit, there would have been a familiarity with the idea of God's comfort. I want to read this passage of Scripture to you. If you're there in John chapter 14, I want to look at verses 26 and 27. John 14, 26 begins like this. The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will bring all that God has taught to your remembrance and all that I have said to you. Now peace I leave you, peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Isn't it funny that as Jesus is revealing to us this, this uh, position that he is equipping us with, that we might walk through life without fear, it's all coming through the catalyst of comfort. God is sending the comforter. He will remind you of what I say. He will speak to you my words. He will bring to your remembrance all the things of God. So have peace. Don't be afraid. Let not your heart be troubled. It's all coming through comfort. Now, when, when he spoke of comfort, those who would have heard him would have been, uh, you know, those who had grown up and, and heard the, the story from the, the Exodus and the words that Moses spoke to God multiple times. There would have been a tremendous awareness and familiarity with the idea of what's being spoken of here as it concerns comfort. Now, here in the West, when we hear of comfort, we, we think of other things, you know. Uh, there are things that maybe we associate that with. And, and the reality is it's important for us to see God's response to Moses and hear Jesus' declaration to his disciples and realize there is a mass fulfillment of what God has promised to the people of God, that he would go with us, be near us, and that he would provide nuach or comfort. And that comfort by the words of Jesus, would equip us to live a life of peace, free from fear and anxiety. Uh, we mentioned that we were going to find something else in the Scripture, what God will never do. I want to offer that to you now, something that God will never do. And I want to see it here uh, from the Gospel of John. I want to look at, at verses 16 and 17. Verses 16 and 17. Now, Jesus is speaking, and he says that he's going to do something on your behalf. He says he's going to go and he's going to pray. He's going to pray for you. He says, I will pray, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world cannot receive him or see him. They neither know him, but you know him, for he dwells within you, and he shall be in you. And as you continue reading there in verse 18, you have this magnificent promise. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come for you. Now, we can relate to the word orphan because we, we know what it means by definition, you know. But I want to give to you a, a translation of this word. Orphan is a fine translation, by the way. But if you turn to the Strong's and you read the definition, 
Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you comfortless. I mean, there's other ways that you can say that, that one of the ways would be uncertain affinity. And that's just kind of a weird way to speak. We don't say that. But to be uncertain of someone's love for you, to be uncertain of someone's affection for you. I mean, the word affinity is not used in my life very often, but if I were to use it and use it accurately, I could say I have a real affinity for Bavarian cream-filled donuts. You get what I'm saying, right? You now know what affinity means. It's no longer a mystery. It means like, man, that guy loves his donuts, man. But it's true. And what this word means, when, when Jesus is saying, I won't leave you comfortless, we translated it as, I won't leave you as orphans, which is a fine translation, by the way. But I won't leave you comfortless. I won't leave you with uncertain affinity. I won't leave you uncertain about my love for you, is what he's saying. I won't leave you uncertain about my willingness to care for you, to meet your needs, to be near for you, to be present, to be aware of you. I won't leave you uncertain about that. God will send a comforter. It's a wonderful promise. In John 15, 26 and 27, Jesus speaks of the the helper or the comforter again. He says, when the comforter comes who I send you, from the Father. He, he will come from the Father, and he will testify about me. And you will testify then also, because you've been with me from the beginning. I mean, the Spirit of God coming on our life opens up the opportunity for us to walk in everything that Moses asked God for. Teach me your ways so that I may know you. Jesus said, when the Comforter comes, he will testify to you about me. It doesn't just mean he's going to tell you stories once upon a time there was a man named Jesus. It means he's going to reveal to you the motive of the heart of God. Love, affection, mercy, compassion. And he does this all through the power of the hand of God and the wonders of the kingdom of God. It's a fulfillment of God's commitment to provide new life. I want to continue here in the scripture From John chapter 16, I want to look at verses 7 and 8. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. And he's talking about the the death on the cross, the resurrection, and then the ascension into heaven. For if I don't go away, the comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You can continue reading in there to find out more about what he's specifically speaking when he says that. But there's a wonderful reality that God has made uh, present and, and clear in our lives through the word. The idea that he's bringing his love and all of his promises in full fruition into our lives through comfort. The comforter specifically. That no matter what we deal with, no matter what we face, no matter how disappointing or frustrating or hurtful or or rejecting a situation may be, there is room for the comfort of God to enter in and bring us to a place of peace and satisfaction. Based on the psalm that we read earlier, a place of greatness. Now there's something that takes place that I want to offer We read that the Comforter is going to reveal to us the things that Jesus speaks. We just read in John chapter 16 that he will come and he will convict concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. There's a reason why that's important. 
And it's important for us here today. Another thing to introduce into our prayer life. Father, let the conviction of the Holy Spirit prevail in my life. Don't let me quench the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is revealing to me that my actions are sinful or hurtful, let there be a response that I would embrace his words, that I wouldn't turn a deaf ear to them, but that I might respond. Because when we respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, something wonderful happens. It's then that we are led by the Holy Spirit. And by definition, according to the scripture, that's when we walk as the sons of God. Let me give you a passage of scripture here that has a wonderful promise attached to it from the book of Acts chapter 3 verse 19. It talks about repenting, responding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is revealing to us that something is sinful, something is wrong, something is not according to God's will, but it's unrighteous, and we respond to that conviction, we have the change that is defined as repentance. Acts 3.19, therefore repent and return so that your sin may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That is awesome. What a wonderful effect. In order that, there's not one of us here who would not want to be involved in what would be defined as a time of refreshing from the Lord. We use the word revival in churches, you know. And you can have uh, everyone get whipped into a frenzy and get all excited. Do we want a revival? I can tell you this right now. Repentance is the price of revival. My life is living proof of it. And God has made a way for repentance to be embraced and celebrated in every one of our lives. And anyone in the room here now, especially me, who thinks that this has already happened, needs to simply say, Holy Spirit, is there anything that I need to be convicted about? And I have a feeling that he will bring a very righteous, tender, comforting conviction to lead us to the place of repentance, to position us to respond in order that the times of refreshing that are promised may come. I want to talk about that times of refreshing quickly here. Because really and truly, you know, times of refreshing, it, it sounds like, you know, a can of spray that you would keep in the bathroom right? It just is a little odd. Times of refreshing. We hear that and it sounds nice. It sounds pleasant, like something that you would, would use to have some mild relief. But I want to give you a, a, a very literal translation that I think will cause you to understand the urgency of times of refreshing. A, a literal translation for times of refreshing is recovery of breath. Recovery of breath. When we read times of refreshing, it just sounds like, hey, would you like things to be a little nicer, a little easier, maybe a little more pleasant? Well, sure, why not? But if I were to say, hey, listen, if you couldn't breathe, would you want recovery of breath? Absolutely you would. If everyone in the room here were to hold their breath, you know, it would be uh, uh, no big deal at first. Then it would become slightly uncomfortable. Then it would become very uncomfortable. And the only thing that would bring comfort to that situation would be the recovery of breath. It would be uncomfortable unto death. God is giving us this opportunity. He's revealing to us this way, this way into the recovery of breath that gives life. The revival that we so 
desperately desire in our churches and in our lives and our families and households and every aspect of our living. I want to give you a passage of scripture here out of the book of Acts. Do you remember before we listed the three things? That third one was how we can grow as a church. How we can grow together as a church and and grow as the kingdom of God. I want to give you a passage of scripture here out of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9. I want to look at verse 31. Acts 9, 31. It says, The church enjoyed peace being built up and going forward in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. Now, as as a a part of the body here at Champions and and as a a devoted, uh, caring, uh, loving brother to everyone in the room here, I want us all to walk and receive that promise. Walk in and receive this increase, a continued increase. And that continued increase that is promised is connected to two things. For us to walk in the fear of the Lord, the reverence of God, putting him first, and then also celebrating, receiving, and sharing the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The two elements necessary for us to walk in together in order to increase and grow together, in order to see wonderful things continue to move forward in the kingdom of God. Now, I'm asking you to do this, and I'm committing to do this myself. I want to add those things to my prayer list. Father, let us grow as a congregation in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Let us grow together and continue to increase Let each of our hearts respond to the conviction of your spirit to walk in reverence, to walk in your word, and to celebrate the comfort of your Holy Spirit. And let the results be evident within the congregation that we would continue to increase, that we would continue to grow together and as a congregation. Let us bring honor and glory to your name as we walk in the things that you've called us to walk in. I want to add that to my prayer life, and I'd like to ask you to do the same. And then here's something that I think is is necessary to note as it concerns the comfort that God brings into our lives. I want you to take this down as we close. It's the final scripture that we're going to look at from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to look at verses 3 through 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. We're still bringing home that point of what's necessary for us to grow together as a congregation. And based on what we read in Acts chapter 9, it's walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you this from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in afflictions with the comfort with which we ourselves were comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Jesus Christ. It's written by the prophet Dr. Seuss. Try to read that three or four times straight there. It's comfort by the comfort with which we were comforted. I want to read it one more time and I want to drive home the point. Blessed be the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us 
in all of our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? It makes me want to pray for comfort. Father, I want the comfort of the Holy Ghost active and present in my life. I want comfort, the catalyst for your love, to be wide open, that there would be no hindrance to your love flowing into my life so that it might flow out of my life. Let me continue to be comforted through all afflictions so that I might fulfill your word and bring comfort to those around me who are suffering and be honored and glorified as I introduce your comfort into those lives that are in desperate need. That's why we've been given a comforter. Not only so that we might be comforted, but so that we can know and be comfort. Through our example, through our lives, through our words, through our actions, we can then carry out the ministry of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to offer a prayer, and I want to pray for us together and, and, and trust and believe God to do something great in our lives. I know that the fulfillment of the word of God in sending the comforter has taken place. I know that the work of God is taking place in each one of our lives and that there is a work that is being done on an individual level. There's a work that's being done on, on a, a church-wide level that God is moving and he's working as far as bringing the Holy Spirit and the comfort that he has introduced into our life into effect. And I want to ask, I want to trust, and I want to believe God that by his Spirit, comfort would prevail in our hearts and minds and collectively in the heart and mind of this congregation for the result of bringing into existence the ministry that he's called us to minister. So there where you stand, I want to offer this prayer. And I want to trust and believe that no matter where we are, no matter what we think, no matter what we believe, no matter what experiences we've had in the past, that God will meet us exactly where we are and lead us and guide us into the promised increase through his comfort, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. There where you are, let's pray together. Father, I bless your name and I thank you. I thank you for this wonderful promise that is fulfilled by the faithfulness of our King Jesus. We thank you for the outpouring of the Comforter. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. In this life and in the lives of all of those present. To be the catalyst for the love of our Father. That we might walk in reverence. That we might walk in comfort. And that we might grow together. And never stop increasing in the things of God. In the kingdom of heaven. We ask for comfort to prevail in our hearts and minds. That it would be revealed in our prayers, in our actions, in our words. That we would see the value of comfort that is brought. And let us not simply store up your comfort, Father. But let us be comforted that we might go and comfort those in need. We ask for this work to be done in a glorious and magnificent way. Bringing you honor, bringing you glory. Let there be an exchange of sorrow. Let there be an exchange of waste and ashes. Let there be an exchange of all things worthless 
for all that you have promised, that mantle of praise, that oil of gladness, that garland. Let that exchange take place in us all by your wonderful and powerful comfort. Let us be liberated from all of those things that would weigh us down. And let us be released into all that would be uplifting. We thank you for the comfort of the Holy Ghost, the catalyst for your love in our lives. And we ask, Father, in Jesus' name, that our hearts would long for your comfort, that our minds would prioritize your comfort. Let our thoughts be centered on and focused on the comfort that you've brought into our lives through Jesus. We bless your name and we thank you for the promised deliverance. We bless your name and we rejoice in the wondrous results of your comfort affecting who we are and how we function. Let it be known as individuals and let it be known together collectively as the body that your comfort continues to make us great. We bless your name and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.